Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we begin? Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock, our very strength, our redeemer. Amen. Recently, a member of the congregation sent me this wonderful little clip entitled, The Nature of God. An ancient parable from India tells of an old man who sat down one day in the shade of a banyan tree, whose roots stretched way into the swamp. A scorpion had become hopelessly entangled in the roots. So the old man carefully made his way out on the top of the roots to where the scorpion was trapped. He reached down to get the scorpion out, but each time he touched it, it would lash its tail at him and sting him painfully. Finally, his hand was so swollen that he could no longer close his fingers. So he went back to the shade of the banyan tree until the swelling went down, and then he started again. A young man was observing the old man and laughed at him and said, You're a fool. You're wasting your time trying to help a scorpion who can only do you harm. The old man replied, Simply because it is in the nature of a scorpion to sting, should I give up my nature, which is to save. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes won't perish but have eternal life. It is the nature of God to save. Not to question if you and I are worthy of saving. This morning we find ourselves near the middle of Matthew's gospel with Jesus bent on saving. The chapters before have been filled with dramatic events. Jesus has been healing seemingly everyone, but especially those affected by paralysis, blindness, hemorrhage, or death. He continues on to various cities, teaching and transforming and touching the people, desperately seeking him out. At one point, Matthew tells us, Jesus gazed out over this dense harvest field and is so overwhelmed by the thick crowds who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, that he makes a decision to send out more laborers summoning his disciples and launching into a set of instructions of how they're to go and words of assurance that he won't leave them in this perilous new time. In our few short verses this morning, 
he lays out the mission in one key word. The central message is welcome. Just welcome. You go, you go as me. Why? Because it's the nature of God to save. And there's so many to save. And I can't do it without your help. So go as me. How? Well, this part won't be as easy as it sounds. There'll be trials to face. And in fact, I'm sending you into a pack of wolves. Just remember, I'm always with you. And then Jesus gets to what? This is what you're going to do. Here it is. Whoever welcomes you, or prophet or righteous person, they'll get the same reward as you. So it starts out with this assurance of the difficulty and the reward as well from Jesus. And then Jesus very subtly switches from the reward that others receive from the welcome of the disciples to the welcome and reward received by those who continue to extend it outward. Those who give even a cup of cool water in the name of one of the disciples they're going to receive the same reward as the disciple. What we see is the democratization of the gospel, the sharing and spreading, the sharing and spreading. It's, after all, God's nature to save and our job to pass the welcome along. The message is simple. The delivery not so much. William Gottler tells the story of a friend, an Irish theologian named Siobhan Garrigan, who spent a significant amount of time in Ireland traveling across the, the country researching the book, The Real Peace Process. Arriving at a Presbyterian church in Northern Ireland, Garrigan was pleased to be greeted at the door by two women church members who seemed to invite her into conversation. Garrigan realized that these women were ushers of some sort whose job it was to stand at the door and interview newcomers as they arrived. They quietly asked her name and the first names of approaching strangers who wished to join in morning worship. It was then that Garrigan figured out what was happening. Hearing those names, the ushers would draw conclusions about the culture and religious identity of each person. Those with Protestant names were welcomed warmly and shown their seats. Those with apparently Catholic names, the Catherines, the Patricks, the Marias, were told that they were surely in the wrong church and sent on their way. 
Gottler thought at first that this information must have come from research decades ago, but in reality, Garrigan related that this remains the practice to this day. What could have possibly made the church so distrustful, so leery of strangers, so ready to bar the door in hopes of protecting their lives and their little parish? We'd like to think that we draw no such boundaries today especially in our home church, but we do. Our boundaries may not be obvious, but they're there nonetheless, dividing and damaging the body of Christ. In fact, damaging the whole of humanity. Nibs Stroop, in his commentary on these verses, shares that he was raised as a white child in the segregated South during the 1940s and 50s. He says this, In white segregated Southern life, I was taught and believed that God had ordained those classified as white to be supreme and to rule over others. I was taught this not by cross-burning KKK members, but by loving and decent Christians who also taught me so much about the love of God. They helped the grace of God seep deep down into my bones. While they taught me about the grace of God, they also taught me racism at the same time. Neither they nor I seemed to understand that we were violating the first commandment, that we had put racial classification before God on our worship list. Jesus himself said that this wasn't going to be easy work. So if it's the nature of God to save and we are called by God to be the welcome that saves and we aren't good about keeping God first, how on earth are we going to do this? Might I suggest this morning that when in doubt, just be you. We often read this passage with the assumption that we're to extend hospitality to others as Jesus did, which is true. But we forget something really, really, really important. We forget that this welcome came to us while we were yet sinners. Our scripture this morning is not where the story of the gospel starts. Before there's any hint of the fields for harvest, Jesus had looked at the disciples, that motley crew of bumbling believers, and he welcomed them. 
in all their imperfection, with all the love and compassion his heart can could hold, and he welcomed them to his table. How often do we forget that you in us that has been forgiven? The awareness of God's forgiveness for me has been a central driver in my life. The mistakes I've made as a daughter, a sister, a friend, a spouse, a parent, and a pastor, they are too many. That God would ever call such an imperfect little Baptist girl from the South who over the years has become deeply aware of her humanness, of her acts of sin, those done and those left undone. I can't even begin to know how my judgments have wounded or my words have scarred and that it would be God's nature to save me, forgive me, and use my life. That knowledge overwhelms me. And my friends, that's the part we can't skip. The welcome starts with Jesus inviting the disciples and the disciples inviting us because it's God's nature to save. We have been welcomed. Jesus welcomes us, not our perfection. If we forget that while we were yet sinners, Jesus welcomed us, then the welcome we extend can become conditional and based on our likes and dislikes, our judgments or our prejudices. We risk losing sight of the nature of God, which is to save. Meister Eckhart said this, our deepest freedom, our deepest freedom rests not in our freedom to do what we want to do, but rather in our freedom to become who God wills us to be, which is another way of saying what Paul said. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When in doubt, be that you. Not the you you think you should be, not the you others expect you to be, be the you God made you to be. And that's what keeps God first. That's when we get our marching orders. When Jesus looks all over those crowds of harassed and helpless people and says, we've got to have more shepherds. These poor folks are sheep and they're lost. 
How is it we do that? Well, it's really all in the welcome. You go, folks will welcome you, and they'll have the same reward. And then that's when Jesus turns it and passes on the job to those who have welcomed the disciples. And he says, when you give even a cup of cool water in a disciple's name, you'll have their same reward. And you've done it unto me. Welcome. That's the job. Welcome. That's it. Because it is God's nature to save, and so many are sheep without a shepherd. Be the forgiven you, the you that extends God's welcome to those who are paralyzed by their fears, those blind in their own arrogance, those hemorrhaging from the pain in their lives, even those who are so dead in their spirits that they have nothing but rotting trash and sour grapes spewing from their mouths. How would we ever bring the gospel to these harassed and helpless sheep without the reference point of our forgiveness and how that healed. That's what welcome looks like. And God comes asking that without reservation or hesitation, that we extend the same love unconditionally, and it gives us all the place at God's table. And it's then that we, all of us, in our imperfection, are able to come to the table and small acts of great good gifts of welcome can be exchanged. You see, discipleship doesn't have to be heroic. Like all the small acts of devotion, tenderness, and forgiveness that go largely unnoticed, but actually tend to the relationships that are most important to us. So also the life of faith is composed of a thousand small gestures. Gestures of welcome and acceptance. Except that according to Jesus, there is no such thing as a small gesture. Anything done in faith and love has cosmic significance for the ones involved and indeed for the world God loves so very much. When you have any doubt, be that you. I received a letter early part of the uh, June written by a former member of this church. It says this, Dear pastor and members of Stony Brook, my name is Patricia Pat Stedman, and my family moved to Gehenna in 1987. 
My son Bobby and my husband Dan attended Stony Brook while I and my two daughters and youngest son kept driving back to our church in Columbus. In 1989, Dan became extremely ill. It was sudden, and we couldn't get a firm diagnosis until February of 1990. ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. He was 44. As the disease quickly progressed, it was Stony Brook, the people and Pastor Todd who stepped up to help us. There were meals, groceries, volunteers to help our kids, and an outpouring of love and care and concern. As I watched the news in my own hometown, now in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I'm reminded of how churches everywhere step up to breach the gap. The churches here are feeding people, providing services, and doing all kinds of ministry in the name of Jesus and love for all people. Our church, too. I'll always be grateful to the people at Stony Brook. They were there to help at our weakest moment. I made a promise then, if I could ever do the same, I wouldn't hesitate. And that is what I do. All the kids are grown now. Sean lives in San Francisco. Bobby's in Vail, Colorado. Dana is teaching art at Woodward Park Middle School. And Wendy, my oldest, works for the Ohio Baptist Conference, married to a pastor, and lives in Whitehall. We often talk about the kindness of the people we knew who loved and cared for us from Stony Brook. You blessed our lives. This little note's from the heart, a note of thanks and appreciation. I know you are still doing his work and his ministry. God bless you. Oh, sweet church, when in doubt, remember that it is God's nature to save saved you. And when you're in any doubt, just be you. The you that knows that God loves you. Be the you that remembers how being saved has changed your life. From the deep, safe, at-the-table place of examined, forgiven faithfulness. Be the you that continues to offer that restoring cup of cool water to any sheep that comes through your door. And when in doubt, just be that dear you that you already are and have always been. God is with you. Now, dear hearts, I have preached a sermon because I am absolutely horrid at saying goodbye. So I won't do it. What I will say is thank you. Thank you for the blessing you've been to Craig and to me. And then I'd like to say a blessing to you. Rather than saying goodbye, I would say farewell 
fare very well. And until we meet again, know that you and your faithfulness have been a cup of cool water in the lives of Craig and Lucipel. Let's pray. Lord, keep your watch and your hold upon the people of this church. Keep your mission before them, your love within them, their care for each other, and their mission of welcome central to their saving work within this community. Bless them. Bless them in all your ways. Amen.